Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Philemon, chapter 1 and verse 22 for our message from the Word of God this morning. Our final message on the epistle to Philemon. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find Philemon 1 and verse 22 on page 1287. This morning is September 23rd, 2018, if you're joining us by way of recording. Our text is going to be in Philemon 1, verses 22 through verse 25, right on down to the end of the chapter, right on down to the end of the epistle. And the title of this morning's message is Paul's Personal Innkeeper. Paul's Personal Innkeeper. And we begin with the story of a man who was staying in a high-rise hotel. One night he called the front desk and he said to the manager, you gotta come quick. My wife and I were having an argument and now she says she's gonna jump out the window. And the manager said, well, I'm sorry, but I can't help you with that. That sounds more like a personal issue not a maintenance issue. To which the man replied, no, it's a maintenance issue. The window stuck. <laughs> stuck. Well, in Paul's day, they didn't have high-rise hotels. So as we come to the end of our study of Philemon, Paul tells his friend Philemon to get a room ready for him because he hoped to be coming for a visit. I direct your attention at this time to Philemon 1 and verse 22 where Paul says these words. But withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Now, to begin with, don't overlook that word but at the beginning of the verse. Remember we said last Sunday that Every word of God is important. And oftentimes, the little words are the most important. The word but is often used to draw a contrast. Like when I say that I'm a White Sox fan, but... Sue Ostrowski is a Cub fan. (laughs) 
But we love each other in the Lord anyway. So when the Apostle Paul used that word but to start this verse, verse 22, we have to back up to the previous verse to find out what he was contrasting. In verse 21, he said to Philemon, Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Paul told him that he was confident that he would be obedient to him and be gracious to his runaway slave, which by now I'm sure you know is the point of this whole epistle. And Paul says that he didn't think Philemon, if he didn't think Philemon would be obedient, he wouldn't have bothered to write him that letter. He was actually confident that Philemon would do more than he asked him to do, like maybe give his runaway slave Onesimus his freedom. Remember last week we saw that that was an illustration of how God expects that we will do more under grace than he asked the Jews to do under the law. And you know what? If God didn't think we would, he wouldn't have bothered to write us 13 epistles through the pen of our Apostle Paul. And you're seeing that illustrated here with this epistle. But then, as we move into verse 22, Paul says to Philemon, I wrote unto thee, but now I'm also telling you I'm coming to see you. And the reason he adds that is because, well, you know how it is. When somebody asks you to do something in a letter, it's easy to ignore their request, right? Especially if you think you're never going to see that person again. Uh, As Philemon might have been thinking about Paul. Paul was in prison. But if somebody writes you and asks you to do something, and then they add, by the way, I'm also coming to see you. Well, that makes you a little more inclined to do what you've been asked to do, right? And when the someone who does the asking is your mother, well, that makes you even more inclined to do what you've been asked to do. And when the someone who asked you to do something is your boss, you know, the guy who could fire you if you don't do what he has, it makes you even more inclined to do what you've been asked to do. 
And then when that someone is your president, just think how inclined you would be to do what you've been asked to do if you have the respect for the president that Christians should have. But now the point. What if the someone who asks you to do something is your God? Beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ has written you 13 epistles through the letters of the Apostle Paul asking you to do some things. And you can, you can ignore the Lord's requests if you want to. But I know that you know better than to think you're never going to see the Lord again. Right? Because he has said in his word that he's coming to see you. And if you've been ignoring his requests that he made to you in Paul's epistles, well, you're going to have to stand face to face with the one who made those requests, aren't you? And if that thought bothers you, as it should, you might want to consider doing what he asks you to do. You know, we sing hymns about seeing the Lord face to face. And it's true, that's going to be a glorious meeting for all of us. But there's a way that you can make that meeting more glorious than you could possibly imagine. And that's by doing your best to do what he says in Paul's epistles. Amen? Now, along with all that Paul asked Philemon to do, he also tells him to prepare him a lodging. That's why in verse 22 he uses that word, with all. (laughs) He's saying, along with all that I'm asking you do, to do, I should say, um, also telling you to do this. Now, they didn't have high-rise hotels in those days, like I said, but they did have motels. They were called inns, right? Look at your first cross-reference in Exodus 4.24. It came to pass, by the way, in the inn that the Lord met him. Speaking of Moses. And so we know they had motels, they had inns. And and you'll remember when the Lord was born. Mary had to lay him in a manger because what? There was no room for them in the inn. They had motels. But even though they had inns, they had places where you could stay, Paul told Philemon in verse 22, I want to stay with you. And you know what? If Philemon ignored what Paul asked him to do in this epistle, do you think he might regret it that first night when he met with the Apostle Paul? Well, you know what? You can ignore what the Lord asks you to do in Paul's epistles, but you might regret it 
that first meeting that you have with the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I don't think you're going to regret it for all eternity. I don't think heaven would be very heavenly if it was filled with regret. But I think maybe you might regret not doing what the Lord asks you to do uh, when the Lord's handing out those rewards, don't you think? Why not decide you're going to obey Him the very best you can? Now, back in verse 22, when Paul says that he trusted that he'd be given to Philemon. I remind you where Paul was when he wrote that. He was in prison, right? If you forgot about that, look back at the first verse of this epistle, Philemon 1 and verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Well, if Paul was in prison at the time, we have to ask, what he meant when he said, I trust that I'll be given unto you. Well, that word trust sometimes can mean what it says in your next reference in Psalm 119.42, where the psalmist said, I trust in thy word. Speaking to God. Well, there, obviously, the word trust means to put your confidence in something. The psalmist says, I I have my confidence in the Word of God. And that could be what it means here. I mean, maybe the Lord gave Paul his word that he'd get out of prison. But you know what? We don't have any record of that. We're just limited to what God tells us in His Word. So I think that the word trust here means to hope, like it did in your next reference, when Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 2, 19-23, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you. For I have nobody like him, no man like-minded, who will naturally care for your state. Him, therefore, I, what does it say, trust in your, if it does, it's a misprint. (laughs) Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. Do you see how Paul says he trusted that he would send Timothy? And then he defines what he meant by saying he hoped to send him. So, when Paul told Philemon he trusted that he would be able to come and see him, I think he's saying he was hoping to come and see him. And i got to tell you, if I was in prison, I'd probably be hoping that I could get out and go visit my friends uh, also, wouldn't you? (laughs) But, if you look at verse 22 again, you'll notice that Paul said he trusted he'd get out of jail through the prayers of Philemon. And people have a lot of questions about how prayer works 
in the dispensation of grace? It's one of the questions I'm frequently asked at Brian Bible Society. So, let's talk about how Paul expected prayer to work in his case here. And how do we interpret the Bible here at Faith Bible Church? Isn't it by comparing Scripture with Scripture? Well, you know what? There's another verse where Paul says pretty much the same thing as this verse says about pretty much the same situation. It's in your next reference in Philippians 1, verses 13 to 19. Paul talks about my bonds in Christ. He was in prison. He says, my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. He was imprisoned in the emperor of Rome's palace. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They said to themselves, Wow, the Apostle Paul's in jail. He used to be out there beating the bushes and going from town to town preaching the gospel, but now he can't do that. we got to step up, and we got to take his place. So they waxed bold. And we're much more bold to speak the word without fear. Then Paul says, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. I picture it as each one of them wanting to be the next Apostle Paul, you know, and envying each other and striving with one another. And, And as you can imagine, Paul didn't care that, care much for that. That's why he goes on to say, but Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice. I don't like the motive, he said, but I thank God that Christ is being preached. But now getting to the point, look what he says. And I know that this shall turn to my salvation... Through your prayer. Now, that word salvation there isn't talking about being saved from sin. Paul was already saved from his sins on Damascus Road many years earlier. He was talking about being saved from prison, from his bonds, through the prayers Of the Philippians. Pretty much the same thing he told Philemon, right? But, when he told the Philippians that he would be saved uh, because of something he calls this. He says, this shall turn to my salvation through your prayers. He's telling us how he expected their prayers to save him from prison. So now we got to figure out what this is. <laughs> and that'll help us figure out how he expected their prayers to get him out of prison. And in the context, 
He's talking about the preaching of Christ. We talked about that actually last Sunday when we had Philippians 1 for our scripture reading. As those men went out and preached Christ, and more and more people got saved, and the more and more popular Christianity became, the less popular the government became for keeping the leader of Christianity locked up like a criminal. And pretty soon, Rome was going to feel the pressure to release the Apostle Paul. And all that is the this that Paul says is going to turn to his salvation. So, in other words, Paul expected God to answer the prayers of the Philippians for his release by working through his word and through his people. That, beloved, is how God answers prayer in the dispensation of grace. Think about it. We're members of the body of Christ, right? He's the head. We're the body. And you know how it is in your own body. If your head wants something done, it doesn't get done until your body gets up and does it, right? I mean, when you're laying there on the couch thinking about doing the dishes, <laughs> you can think about it all you want. But until your body gets up and does it, it doesn't get done. And that's how prayer works in the body of Christ. Through God's people, using God's Word. And that explains something Paul went on to tell the Philippians in the rest of what he said to them in Philippians 1 and verse 19. He said, I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul says he planned to get out of prison through the prayers of the Philippians and through something that he expected the Holy Spirit to supply. So, now we have to ask, what does the Spirit supply to answer our prayers? Well, Paul used that word, supply, in your next reference in Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16, where he talks about what we've been talking about, the body of Christ. He talks about the head, that's even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint, hey, there's our word, supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Now, when Paul talks about a body that Christ is the head of, you know he's talking about the body of Christ, right? All the saved people around the world, the ones who've trusted the blood of the Lord Jesus alone for their salvation. 
And when he says that the body is fitly joined and compacted, we don't use that word compacted too much anymore. They, they used to talk about compact cars. And, uh, in fact, not long ago I was in a crowded parking garage downtown and, uh, it was such tight parking they had a spot labeled for compact cars. So I guess they still use it. Nowadays they have what they call those smart cars. You know, those tiny little ones you see on the road. I heard a joke about a guy who was driving one of those and hit a deer and the deer just laughed and walked away. (laughs) Well, let me ask you, how many of you have a trash compactor at home? Uh, I don't have one, but when I was a painting contractor, I, I saw them in homes. I hear they're not as popular as they were years ago. They, what a trash compactor does, you put your, you know, you put your garbage in there and it, it squishes your trash together and tightens it to get rid of the, the spaces between your trash so that the trash fits in a much smaller bag, but a much heavier bag. I'm talking like 30 pounds heavy, which probably is why they're not popular anymore, because that made it too hard for wives and kids to take the garbage out, so men didn't buy those things no more. (laughs) Well, listen, the Lord Jesus Christ joined the body of Christ together when he saved us, right? But Paul says in that Ephesians verse that the body also needs to be compacted. Because we're all so different, there are spaces between us, aren't there? So we need something to squish us together. (laughs) And Paul says that the thing that compacts us, the thing that, that gets rid of the spaces between us, is that which every joint supplieth. And you know what joints are. The joints of a body, your your elbows, your knuckles, your knees. uh, The things that connect your bones. You know, all the things that hurt in the morning when you wake up, when you get older, right? (laughs) All the things that allow your body to move and get things done. Right? So what are the joints of the body of Christ? Well, in our scripture reading this morning in 1 Corinthians 12, we saw that some members of the body of Christ are eyes, some are ears, and some are hands, and some are feet. But that must mean some are joints. Some of us are the ones who get things done in the body of Christ. And don't just think, well, he's just talking about pastors and missionaries and Sunday school teachers. Do you know how many joints there are in the human body? No nurses allowed to answer. (laughs) We have two nurses. Um, At least two. Um, I couldn't believe it. There are 360 joints in your body. And just as there are more joints in your body than you think, 
There's way more joints in the body of Christ than you think. There's more people getting things done in the body of Christ than you think. There's more people getting things done in this church than you probably are aware of. So, the thing that the Spirit supplies to answer our prayers is the thing He supplies through us. Aren't we filled with the Spirit according to your next reference? Doesn't Paul say to the Corinthians, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. We're the ones the Spirit uses to supply our answers to prayer. We're the ones who are the effectual working in the measure of every part. You know, the joints can't do anything unless the eyes and the ears and everything else are doing their part too. That's how God works to answer prayer in the dispensation of grace. And as we minister to one another's needs, it draws us closer together, doesn't it? It compacts us and gets rid of all the spaces between us. But now one more thing about prayer. Did you notice that Paul told Philemon, I I trust that I'll get out through your prayers. Then he told the Philippians, I I know that I'm going to, that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers. Well, wait a minute, time out. I can take a time out, it's football season. What about Paul's prayers? What's he been praying for? We know that he hoped to get out to go put a little pressure on uh, Philemon to be gracious to his runaway slave. But how come he doesn't talk about praying to get out? Well, if you know your Bible well, you know the answer to that. It's in your next reference when Paul wrote to these same Philippians in Philippians 4.11, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. The reason Paul wasn't praying to get out of prison, folks, is because he was content even in the state of incarceration. The Gray Bar Motel, they, they call it on the internet. He was sitting there in prison, happy as a clam. Because he had learned that God could use him wherever he was in whatever difficult situation he was in. Now, is there anything you can learn from that? The more you mature in Christ, folks, the more you become like the Apostle Paul, the less you're going to find yourself praying that God would get you out of your difficult situations. And the more you're going to be praying that God would use you in your difficult situations. Now that's not easy to get to, that point in your spiritual life. But it's called growing up in Christ. In fact, that passage in Ephesians 4 talks about growing up into Him in these things. It's called growing up in Christ and being the man of God, being the woman of God that He has called you to be. Alright, 
Now that our book of illustrations has illustrated how prayer works in the dispensation of grace, Paul is ready to say hello to a few friends. Look at verse 23 in your Bible, and we won't spend too much time on on these. In verse 23, he says, There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Now listen, it is no accident that Paul mentions Epaphras right after talking about prayer. Because look what he says about Epaphras in your next reference. Epaphras in Colossians 4.12, he wrote to the Colossians, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. Somebody who was always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye might stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Now here, I want you to remember something that I've told you in the past in this study. History says that the Colossians had just gone through a massive earthquake, leaving a lot of them homeless and hungry. And I'll bet you Epaphras prayed about that, prayed about their need for food and shelter. But we know how God answered his prayers about that, don't we? Look at uh, verse 7 in your Bible where Paul said to Philemon in Philemon 1 and verse 7, We have great joy and consolation in your love, Philemon, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. And remember, we talked about that. That word bowels means there's bowels. They would feed, we're talking about physical food there. And uh, God answered the prayers of the saints for for food and shelter after that earthquake through one of his people, through Philemon. And so that was a that was a pretty easy fix. But listen, when it comes to standing perfect and complete in all the will of God. That usually takes a lot more doing because it involves learning the Word of God and then learning to apply it to your life. So we read, when it comes to that, Epaphras was laboring fervently in prayer about that. But you know what? It's worth the effort. It's worth laboring in prayer for. It's it's worth learning the Word of God and learning how to apply it to your life because that is the only hope you have of learning to be content in whatever situation you're in, whether it's prison or an earthquake or a hurricane or whatever it is that you're going through this morning. Next, in verse 24 in your Bible, Paul says hello to Marcus and Aristarchus and Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. Now, Marcus was just another name for a guy named John Mark. You know, the guy that Barnabas wanted to take along with him and Paul on one of their journeys in Acts 15, 37 and 38, 
Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark, Marcus. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Well, you know that story if you know the book of Acts. On an earlier trip, Mark left them in the lurch and left them hanging and didn't go with them when they needed him to the work. So Paul didn't trust him. But now, here at this epistle that he wrote years later, he calls Marcus my fellow laborer. That means that Paul, at some point, must have given Marcus a second chance. And in this book of illustrations of Philemon, that illustrates how your God is a God of second chances, right? Did he give Jonah a second chance after he sent him to Nineveh and Jonah went whoop, 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 the other way? Remember? Yeah, he did. Did he give David a second chance after he sinned with Bathsheba? Did he give Peter a second chance after he denied him? Yeah. So if you're here this morning and you have disappointed the Lord at some point in your life, I guarantee God is still a God of second chances. And third and fourth and fifth and however many you need, He's there for you. Next, Paul says hello to a man named Aristarchus. And he is one of the real unsung heroes in the Bible, folks. Aristarchus was a man who stuck with the Apostle Paul through thick and thin. You check your Bible. Go home. You didn't know there was going to be homework, did you? Go home and read Acts 19. Aristarchus was there standing by Paul's side in the riot among the silversmiths in Ephesus. Then, read Acts 27. Aristarchus was with Paul on that ship when there was like a, what, a 14-day storm on the seas? And they shipwrecked. Aristarchus was there. Aristarchus illustrates how you should stand through with the Apostle Paul through thick and thin, folks. Because in this day of religious confusion, God needs men like Aristarchus. Men who will stand with Paul. That's what you're seeing illustrated here. Men who will stand with Paul no matter how Satan opposes. And he's opposing plenty, I don't have to tell you. So let me ask you, are you an Aristarchus? Or are you a Demas, as it goes on to say in verse 24? You know what Paul said about Demas in his last epistle, don't you? Look at your next reference in 2 Timothy 4.10. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Is your love for this present world greater that your love for the Lord and, and for the Lord's apostle? You don't have to tell me. That's something you should probably pray about. Finally, Paul says hello to 
Lucas. You know him as the Apostle Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Now, Luke was what we call a kingdom saint, a member of the kingdom church of Jews, who's going to reign with Christ here on earth during the millennial kingdom while we're reigning over the angels in heaven after the rapture, right? If you know your Bible, you know in the book of Acts, Luke traveled with the Apostle Paul because of what he did for a living. Look at your next reference in Colossians 4.14. Paul says Luke is the beloved physician. Luke was a doctor. And after the gift of healing faded away, as it did, you can chronicle it in Paul's epistles, Paul needed a doctor. Uh, for, for all the aches and pains he got from all the beatings and all the stonings that he went through so that you and I could have these epistles. Luke's help was just what the doctor ordered. But um bump. <laughs> it was just what the doctor ordered when it came to helping Paul minister to the Gentiles. Even though his ministry was to the Jews. And his message to the Jews was very different. Now, is there anything you can learn from that when it comes to Christians who are not in what we call the grace movement? Beloved, do not ever get to thinking that we're all there is, that, that, that the grace movement is all God cares about, and, and, and don't get to be where you're not praying for other ministries. Don't, and, and some people, I know people that pray for ministries that don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth to fail! No! You know what the Lord would say about something like that? Look at your last reference in Luke 9, 49 and 50. John said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name and we forbade him because he follows not with us. <laughs> and Jesus said unto him, cut that out! Knock it off! Forbid him not! For he that is not against us is for us. And that's true for every ministry that preaches the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, folks. You're never going to find a ministry that agrees with you on everything. So pray that God will bless and use all of the ministries out there. They might be very different than the message you're putting out. But Luke's ministry was different from Paul's. But Paul still called him a fellow laborer. One last thing about that. Luke didn't, as far as I know, when I read the book of Acts, Luke didn't do any preaching while he's out there traveling with Paul. He just did all the doctoring. And yet, Paul calls him a fellow laborer. You know what that means? That means no matter what you do in the body of Christ, in God's eyes, you're a fellow laborer with pastors, teachers, missionaries, and, and whoever else you might think are God's only laborers. God says otherwise. And then finally in verse 25 in your Bible... Paul ends this epistle by saying, <clears throat> The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
be with your spirit. Amen. Notice he ends the epistle by saying, grace be with your spirit. What's that all about? Well, it's the theme that we've been talking about throughout our study of Philemon. God accepts all believers by His grace. And then He tells you to accept others by your grace. And it ain't easy. You've heard me say many times it's easy to be on the receiving end of grace and basking in the grace of God. And then God says, now be gracious to other people. And it's like, oh, well, you don't know these other people. Oh, yeah, He does. Yeah, he does. And it's what he's called on us to do. In all of Paul's epistles. Aren't you glad we study Paul's epistles here at Faith Bible Church? Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this epistle that has so well illustrated the things that you're doing today and what you expect of us. Father, I do pray that you'll use us to minister to one another's needs and and draw us closer together by doing that. I pray it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.